Hey everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today I'm talking to Calum Graves, an artist who works more or less entirely in the digital sphere, aside from when he's exhibiting. We talked today about some of his specific works and about the process of curating images from the public domain of the internet, and we talk about the internet in general. We also talked briefly about the time Calum almost got sued over a work. Uh, and between all those topics, it's a good chat. It's sort of a focused chat. And while Calum is quiet, he's also very considered. And while he said he was nervous for this interview, he nailed it. Now, before we begin, here's some regular housekeeping. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and to see how we can support you. Also, you can join our mailing list. It's worth it. And now, on to the show. Calum has done nothing with his studio, and that's not a bad thing. He's the first non-writer in the officially titled Writer's Room, and because he's an artist who works 100% digitally, he's left it just so. We were talking the other day about how successful it can be for an artist to just showcase their process, about how many artists at House Conspiracy have just shown what they've been doing rather than a full and final work. But Calum laughed. My process doesn't change much about the space, he said. When I'm not in my studio, it's a table. When I'm in my studio, it's a table with a laptop on it. That's all. And now, the man behind the laptop, behind the work, Calum Graves. Yeah, I try to, I do try to infuse a lot of humor in my work because mm. I think it kind of, it works on a human level or something. Like it kind of, it's more engaging if it's, well, you mentioned that you're sort of interested in the concept of the absurd. Yeah. And sort of exploring that. Is, is that why, why humour comes into your, your work so often? I think so, yeah. I do like just kind of that search for meaning, but no meaning being found. That's like kind of the human drive of... And I kind of find that with my art. Like I, I don't like political art, but I think a lot of my work is political. But I kind of find political art pointless like it's trying to find a truth that doesn't exist or preaching to the converted like at a gallery or something where right because galleries are like populated by sort yeah of... like you go you look at your environmental art you feel good then you go out you get your styrofoam coffee and you bin it and then i don't know like it kind of is pointless to me like yeah. it's, it's like the experience of art that preaches to the choir is almost like a false catharsis i think so yeah and not really i don't know like i think it actually has a point i just try to question that point yeah well. and your, your work is often a bit of a, a send-up um i know you describe your work as sort of a a web-based appropriation and i think first i'll exp- I'll, I'll describe for the viewers one of your works and then i want to sort of talk to you about sort of the mechanics um so one of your works is called number one um, and it's 130 ceramic mugs, all with images of billionaires. Is it the top 130 billionaires in the world or uh, 130 of them? Yeah, 130 of the 2000 and something. I, I, I thought maybe 1800 and something. I wanted all of them, but it's hard to kind of find. <laughs> find. Yeah, well, just, some billionaires yeah. don't have a media presence. Yeah. They're just silent billionaires. Yeah. Oh, I can't get a moment of them like with their finger in the air and... Yeah, yeah. So exactly, what you've got is you've got all these billionaires with one finger in the air, in 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 a in a, in a way that you've described as in the congratulatory style of number one 
dad mugs um, found in cheap gift shops, which I read that because I've only got sort of an image of the mugs. I don't have a mug in front of me. I, I was like, wait, why are these number one dad mugs? And then I zoomed in and realized they're all, they're all holding up the one finger. And it's really, really, really funny. And I, I guess I wanted to ask you sort of about that idea of using humor to approach web-based art and sort of a almost curation as art. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like how, how do the, how are the mechanics of that for you? Like, is it quite an intellectual process? Is it quite time consuming? Um, it they're definitely time consuming. A lot of my work, I think someone described it to me once, which I really like as, um, like most people waste their time on the internet and I've kind of like turned my wasted time into productive time. So like I spend a lot of time, wasted on the internet searching for stuff but then I can kind of hopefully produce something out of out of that which I kind of like because yeah the internet's like the default you get home from a shitty day you hop on Facebook or like it's kind of this escapism or something and I do I think yeah humor for this one I think because everyone knows like the whole one percent movement and um, mm-hmm. like yeah they occupy like Wall a, Street yeah phenomenon. Like it's such like a almost a cliche kind of thing. Then I thought, I guess there's no point. Everyone knows it. There's no point preaching it. I might as well just kind of take the piss out of these people instead. Yeah, and and take the piss out of the the right people. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it's weird too because I I I don't know how I don't know any billionaires. Obviously, but I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I can introduce you. <laughs> I'm like maybe I don't know because it's such a powerful image too that they get coached or something. Like I don't know how they all end up doing this. Trump does it a lot too. That kind of strong, like it's almost like a or this kind of very masculine looking pose or something. That mm. I think it's not even subconscious. I think they do it on purpose. Is it? Yeah, well, it's. It, it, I mean, it's a symbol that can be read as so many things. But you're right in that it's sort of. There's no real way to read the number or hold the holding of one finger as not powerful, right? You're either pointing yeah. at someone accusatorily, or you're pointing upwards, yeah. Or you're the num- number one. The yeah, top. yeah. Because you see it. I don't like go to sports, but you see it like in, when you watch sporting events, like people in the crowd are like, yeah, with their finger up, like this kind of powerful image of and those giant arm. hands. Too. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't get how it happens, but yeah, I think they do it on purpose to look strong or something. I don't know. I haven't really. Well, I mean, I've been trying to work it out, but I haven't really been able to work it out. But. Yeah, I mean, it recurred 130 times. Yeah. So <laughs> it's 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 clearly a, a, re- a recurring image for a reason. Um, beyond 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 that, I want I want to return to sort of your your creation with the art, but I, I wanted to ask because you sort of mentioned like the the way that we return to Facebook is sort of like a default behavior. What's what's your relationship with the internet when, when you're not making art? Uh, see, that's weird. And I get, um, I guess, criticized for this sometimes because I have deliberately no relationship with the internet. Like my Facebook profile has no post. If someone tags me, I delete it. I don't post anything. I don't really engage online. So I like, I hide my identity online, but then I kind of abuse other people's identities. Not abuse, but like the Gumtree one or whatever. I like I'll search for pictures of people online, but I don't anything so I, yeah i guess i love the internet like i use it as re- research really like mm-hmm. a lot of kind so of, you use it as a tool yeah but i don't like i'm not on twitter I'm, i've never been on instagram i don't use facebook i use emails and yeah 
which is probably better. Yeah. Um, do you did you did you ever use the internet in that way, and did something shift you away from it, or did you just sort of never really engage? I never engaged because even at school, some of my friends had brought like they got me my first mobile phone because I refused to buy one. Um, and then with Facebook, the same thing. So a friend came into my house and signed me up and forced me on. And then I was using it and I was posting a bit, but then I just found it kind of pointless. I, I still use it to keep in contact with people like through Messenger and all that, but um, I don't know. And also, I don't think people question it enough because I wanted to be worth nothing to Facebook. And yeah. I think I am worth nothing to Facebook because everything you post, obviously data is the new gold or oil, like it's worth something. Um, and I think people have signed away, I guess, too much of themselves without thinking. Yeah, I mean, the, the that's the crazy thing um, with, with data at the moment is that it's worth a lot, but no one knows what to do with it. Yeah. I was listening to a New York Public Library podcast maybe six months ago now, I think. And um, they, were, they were speaking on there about how, like, everyone is capturing as much data as possible and selling it to each other. But no one actually knows if it does anything. Yeah. Really. But that's, that's kind yeah. of changing, I think, with AI. Like, I did a good podcast the other day on, it was another um, behavioral, like, economics one. But it's like this firm, I think, in, like, Silicon Valley um, that uses AI to pretty much monitor all the data that already exists in the world. So even, like, small things, like, um, with fuel tanks around the world. Because no one knows how much crude oil there ever is. And you fill out, like, a survey if you own crude oil, I don't know, a company or something, um, and you give it back and then they make like an estimate of how much is existing and then that use, that's kind of determined. How much it's worth overall. Yeah. yeah, but then this company instead uses data that exists, like satellite images, to actually look at all the fuel tanks in the world and they can see if the lid's opened or closed, which determines if it has fuel or not. So they have like a really accurate viewpoint months ahead of everyone else of how much oil there is. Or they use like infrared to look at corn fields to know how much corn crop there is. Um, so yeah, I think data is starting to become people. I think Google and all that has so much data, and they they should be they're worth probably so much more than what they currently are. But once they realize how to use this data or open this data up, right? Because even Google yeah. knows what sites you visited, so they should be able to know like, oh, Amazon's killing it this week because they've had like. 50% more visits than whatever. I don't know. Yeah, well, Google, I think, takes 80% of web traffic where they want to go. Yeah. And the other 20 is, like, direct link, really, and maybe, like, 2% go to Yahoo or Bing or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think once, once, we, once we crack general artificial intelligence, like, then, then, yeah, you're right, then maybe all of a sudden all the data will be worth so much money. Yeah. But surely the AI would move so fast that it would be very worth worth a lot for about 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and then the AI would have it and that would be it. And then competing AI would know the same data at the same time. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which, who knows what, what kind of era that would shuffle in. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you sort of, because I, I, we were speaking earlier for, for context, we were speaking a lot about um, uh, behavioral economics and sort of, that sort of thing. Do you do you do you also sort of engage as part of your sort of fascination with the internet with the idea of artificial intelligence, with the idea of AI? I do. Um, not as much as I'd like to yet, because I'm I, I don't really feel like I know enough to actively engage with it. Yeah. Um, but no, it's definitely something I'm interested in and in looking in. 
Um, and even recently more the dark web because I realized a lot of my work is just kind of this superficial web that exists on the surface. So kind of looking at the real web that exists and... Right, like Tor stuff yeah, and Tor browser yeah. and stuff. And then, um, yeah, what what actually happens in kind of the real world of the web, like drug tra- trading mm-hmm. and child pornography and other stuff. Which right, is a, the, the new Silk Road. Yeah what, yeah, what have you what have you sort of researched in there, and maybe give like a a quick overview of the dark web? Just uh, the dark web, as far as I understand it, again, I probably have no understanding. Um, is that uh, basically like you're saying before? Google has like eighty percent of the web traffic, so I guess their algorithms are deciding kind of what you see or what comes up in a search result. The dark web is kind of the Ninety-nine percent of the web that is existing were not searchable through like Bing or Google or a normal kind of web browser. Um, yeah, basically the real web that exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the actual sort of anarchic. Yeah, kind of... yeah, and even a lot of government exists within the dark web, uh, like unsearchable, untraceable um, information, really, or data. Yeah. Okay. I didn't. Yeah, I never really thought about. It. Of course, of course, the government. Yeah. Has lots of the dark web. So, have you have you made any work sort of uh, surrounding surrounding the dark web yet, or are you so, still sort of yeah diving still, in? yeah diving in and researching? Because mm. going back to AI, because you've you've engaged with that a little bit in your work, like with a very basic AI for that work called "I Don't Understand Modern Art." Yeah. Um, could you explain "I Don't Understand Modern Art"? Uh, it's basically just a bot that retweets people who tweet on Twitter that they don't understand modern art. <laughs> and then I um, put it in galleries, um, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah, I guess more for me, and maybe because of my background in philosophy and art history, it kind of annoyed me because it's really contemporary art, what most of them are talking about. And it's almost that, like I don't understand, like I guess, mechanics or how my car gets fixed. But I don't really feel the need to tweet that or like dismiss it because I don't understand it. So I was trying to turn, I guess, a non-understanding of contemporary art into an artwork to try to engage these people that maybe don't want to be engaged into the art world. Yeah, right. And I guess hypothetically, a lot of these people are seeing that they've been retweeted. Yeah, by well, this bot. Yeah, I had a show and with my work in it, and then the gallery we re- like tweeted my work, and then a lot of these people who didn't realize that I used their work found out. And then a lot of them were kind of angry, some were happy, and then it kind of blew up for a bit, but then disappeared. So As as with the internet, as with yeah, the yeah. terrifyingly fast cycle of the world that we live yeah. in at the moment. Um, so speaking on that, like on people being, you know, either upset or happy about having, being sort of curated into essentially an artwork and sort of becoming, becoming art, as it were, um, what... What do you do? Do you feel that there's any ethics around that, or do you feel that sort of once someone puts themselves in the public sphere like that, like it's fair game? Uh, yeah, I don't believe in copyright, but I know that's a lot of artists do. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I do feel like once it's online, it's kind of fair game and it's public, um, basically public information once you pub- like you kind of know once you publish something online that you've lost control of it that's how memes happen yeah yeah but yeah no i i yeah i don't know i am cautious now because i was threatened with litigation at the start of this year um, over which work uh a work i've since taken down 
The person who sued me, I won't name, but it was the founder of Mona in Hobart. <laughs> <laughs> um, for, I think it was like 250000 US dollars um, in Whoa. California. What yeah. did you do? Can you speak on what you did? <laughs> uh, I, I did a residency in Iceland and Mexico and mm-hmm. I met some amazing people. Who Which knew, Icelandic residency? Uh, Ness. Mm-hmm. Um, who knew some amazing lawyers in the US who took up my cause for me and then um, kind of realized he was going to lose. No, I just said his name. I wasn't going to say his name. I don't know how should I stand. We, should we bleep it? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, realized that he wasn't going to win, so then kind of stopped it happening. I'm just writing that we need to, <laughs> we need to bleep that name. Um, yeah, right. Okay. Um, and ever since then, I guess I've been more conscious of that whole idea of ownership or yeah, if it is fair game or not, or if people do own their images online. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's blurry. Yeah. Given, given like how easy it is to copy paste and whatnot, like our computers have these functions built in. Yeah. Do you think, do you think, cause I know a lot of people sort of, particularly when you're seeing, um, net, you know, net neutrality every second month, it seems is being threatened by some bill somewhere. Do you, do you see perhaps the possibility that if copyright was strengthened, the, the web being turned into a, something where you, you can't copy anything anymore? I think so. But I think what annoys me about it is it's actually like Microsoft and all these companies kind of driving copyright laws, but they made their products through appropriation. And that was kind of the founding of the internet and technology was um, kind of ha- not even hacking, just kind of reusing or appropriating code. Yeah. And they oh, did it to gotcha. a point where they are worth billions and then they stopped the rest of us doing it. And I, I think I view images the same way because images are basically just data. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you can own data. It's, I think it's still being debated because it's complicated, right? Because, you know, then, then you can go in and say a, a, bo- a book is just data. Um, you know, you can reduce all words down to a set of binary or yeah, machine code yeah. or whatever. And I don't I don't know. I it's it's copyright is hard given that people need to working artists need to make money off their work. Yeah. But then I find that if you're like Beck or someone and you can pay for samples, you can do it. But then if you're like Girl Talk, you can't afford to pay for samples and then you get threatened with litigation. Did Girl Talk get threatened for litigation? Uh, litigation? I don't think he sells his music. So I think uh, he's been safe so far. Um, yeah, like Neil Cesariga. Who's that? I don't know. Uh, he's uh, sort of similar to Girl Talk, but like with a much more full-on comedy bent. Oh, yeah, cool. You'd, you'd enjoy it, I think. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, I love Girl Talk. I, Girl Talk was kind of my inspiration for a lot of my art in yeah. terms of um, being like a visual version of Girl Talk, but nowhere near as cool. Like that sort <laughs> of curational appropriation. Yeah. yeah, and where he kind of, um, if, like a lot of the times at the start of his career, he was accused of not being a musician and people saying laptop's not an instrument, but yeah. he was kind of very philosophical on what he was doing in that what he's doing is music and a laptop is an instrument, um, no different than like a guitar or drums. Insofar as, I guess, insofar as an image is an arrangement of, well, on a screen, it's an arrangement of pixels. Music is an arrangement of sounds. Yeah. Yeah. And I do like that whole, I I do actually view myself more as a curator than an artist. And I think that is more, I think contemporary art is more about curating than creating too. 
is that sort of uh, based on sort of that, that postmodern idea that nothing is new? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't know. I'm a bit skeptical of postmodernism at the moment, but yeah. Um, it turns out it, it doesn't translate as well to general culture as it did to art. Yeah. And I think maybe we've moved beyond postmodernism, but I don't know what that is yet. Into well, in I know in literature it's it's called new sincerity. Oh, is it? Yeah, um, and it's it's sort of like I don't know if you've seen um, a show like BoJack Horseman. No. Um, on on Netflix, um, it's kind of like the best example because like, and then you got writers like Dave Eggers, but it's essentially using using the tropes of postmodernism and like stuff like irony and appropriation and absurdism but couching all of that in in a in a in a very like an emotional truth in a sort of like shying away from the sort of over intellectualization and while still using those very intellectual concepts couching them within a um within a sort of very serious uh, not very serious but very very honest sort of portrayal of humanity. Yeah, that's beautiful. Like Rick and Morty. Like yes, yeah, Rick, Rick, and Morty, yeah. Rick and Morty is, is actually a very, very, yeah, is, is in that sort of same vein. Is sort of like, yeah, it's like very self-referential, very self-aware. Yeah. Um, but also, um, yeah, there are, there are some episodes of Rick and Morty that just like destroy you. Yeah, like the final one. Have you seen that? Where yes. Then um, Rick kind of, gets alienated from the family, but then kind of comes back into the family. So he's not like this higher, too smart, intelligent being to kind of disassociate with everyone, like he says all the time. Yeah. So it is that very human element in a very kind of... Exactly, using still those tropes. So yeah. I, think, I think that's where we're at now. Like versus, say, something like Seinfeld, which, you know, is hilarious, but is just like nihilistic to its yeah. core and nothing can be solved and there's no, you know, it's just yeah. misery. But it's such a, they're both great. But I think, yeah, I think Rick and Morty versus Seinfeld is sort of a, yeah, an interesting sort of dichotomy in terms of like, well, where are we now? Um, it's just unfortunate that Rick and Morty uh, has the worst fan base. I don't know if you saw this whole thing with the Szechuan yeah, sauce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shit's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't seen anything worse than that in a long time. Um, sorry, I just sipped my tea mid sentence. But, um, Going back to sort of your your work and 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 away from um, sort of that, uh, do you do you find it hard to engage with with the internet in art, or maybe not for you personally, but do you think that often, and you partic- I particularly see this in sort of TV, that there's there's a certain kind of corniness when the internet pops up in art. I don't know. Do you, do you find that? I do, and um. And maybe it's what we're talking about before. Instead, I try to find that very human element in it. Um, like the otherness of self, which is Mary's for sale and Gumtree, where yeah. I get these accidental self-portraits. Um, instead of like the Instagram kind of portrait, I try to find these very real, very emotive, kind of beautiful, accidental moments of self-reflection, I guess, where people have... I, can, I don't even know if they're conscious that they've caught themselves because they're just trying to sell a mirror. They know on Gumtree they'll sell it, then they'll take the ad down and it's gone. Like it's this kind of very, um, I guess, unself-aware image of oneself. Right, I, so it's almost like the most honest selfie. Yeah, yeah, which is a kind of amazing. And I know because my sister once told me 
she was walking down the street and like she was like she looked at a girl and she thought oh yeah she's attractive then she looked at this other girl and she thought she was ugly but she realized it was her reflection in a shop window dear god <laughs> what a what a soul-destroying moment i know but like so eye-opening at the same time mm-hmm. like it's the only time you can ever look at yourself unconsciously is by that accident yeah, um, wow which i think these are like the same things yeah geez yeah and it's exactly right yeah that sort of trying to trying almost like that that idea that of trying to capture the subject which reflects you yeah is not it's not something that yeah exactly that 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 would come up very much um how did you is so you thought of it based on what your sister told you is that how this idea yeah formed? yeah and then i was kind of thinking how how would you ever recreate that because you couldn't like deliberately look at yourself in a reflection and quickly judge yourself so then i um yeah i started i i thought mirrors on like a classical site would be a good way to start and then there was a lot more than i realized because some of them are naked like i don't even know if they were aware that their reflections there yeah wow yeah yeah, that's that is that is bizarre. <laughs> I've never I've never thought about it because like I've I've tried taking photos of mirrors before, but I've never. I think I've always tried to get myself out of the frame. Yeah, a lot of them you can see trying, but they're like they're missing like that forty five degree angle to be on the side, and mm-hmm. instead like they're awkwardly still in the reflection, but trying to be out of it and. Yeah, or they're hiding behind something like a box. I get those ones I ignore because they're more conscious of their reflection. Right. It's about finding the ones where the people. Yeah. It's nonchalant. Yeah. Mm. And it's very private too. Like it's in their house, which I like. A, a space you don't usually see of other people's. Right. And, and, and private. It's nice to sort of see that uh, juxtaposition of like a private moment with being on online yeah which is like you were saying like it's once it's out there it's out there it's public information it's the opposite of yeah private. Like, yeah that's why you know we talk about the death of privacy yeah which is i think yeah more and more present in society with the internet and you're quite a private person then i would assume or do you just not like the internet do you not like the internet because you're a private person or are they or are you not a private person you just don't like the internet uh no i think i am a private person and i i don't know i think i'm just kind of i try to be self-aware of what everything is instead of just like blindly using the internet or facebook not that i think people do and i'm critiquing people for that either but it's about you're talking about your behavior yeah yeah i guess try to be more self-aware of i guess um like the motives like nothing if, if something's free in life you have to kind of question why well if you're not paying for a product you're the product right yeah yeah which is facebook and yeah instagram and Mm -hmm. yeah and and it's it's interesting seeing all these platforms moving and starting to sell i'm finding more and more ads on all of these sites um i know facebook's just moved ads into their messenger um into their into their messenger app which is spooky yeah it's weird because I never see ads because I usually use ad blocker. Yeah. But then when I pause it, then I realize how many ads actually exist online. And yeah, and then people, are, like you said, Facebook are kind of overcoming that by inserting ads into like their feed. The regular feed. Yeah. And going as a sponsored content. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter's been good at that forever. Yeah. Um, the sort of insertion. 
but they're not making any money. Either. No, Twitter. I mean, Twitter's not making any money. Most of these web businesses don't make any money. YouTube yeah. doesn't make money. YouTube loses money hand over fist. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why they sort of keep releasing um, YouTube, like keep pushing YouTube Red yeah. onto people, so they can get you paying five dollars a month yeah, that's or more insane. than that. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. And uh, Uber makes no money. Um, Uber loses two billion dollars a year. Yeah, I think Uber has a motive though. So I don't know about YouTube though, because Uber like wants to push out all the competition and then have a monopoly and be able to then charge whatever. Yeah. Or, well, my theory is actually different from that. My theory is that, yes, they want to pop out the competition, but most importantly, their motive is to keep the brand going until there are self-driving cars. Yeah. And they can cut out all the driver costs and just go, right, we'll just roll out thousands of self-driving cars around the world and that's it. Yeah. But there are cities in the US where the governments are signing contracts with Uber to be kind of the, the node of transport to get to like a bus station instead of the the city investing in infrastructure, which is kind of their job as government, then they're yeah. offsourcing it to a private enterprise who then can charge whatever because they do have a monopoly of. Yeah. Yeah. Uber has a monopoly right now, like a monopoly of cool almost. Yeah. Like it seems to me that everyone who drives for Uber, because I've looked at the economics of it and you're not making any money if you're driving for Uber. Yeah, I always wonder that. I ask my drivers too, but they never really give me an answer. Because... Doesn't Uber subsidize their fare? So what we see is not their actual... Yeah, fare. Uber takes 20% of their fare. But if you... if you Like I had a friend who was... You know, you know those Facebook stories that popped up on Messenger for a while? I had a friend who was driving Uber and um, popped up how many hours, uh, like his summary for the week. And it was like how many hours he drove and how much money he made. And I put it into that RACQ calculator where they, where they, and I sort of did like an average kilometers an hour. It's like, well, if you're driving Uber, you're probably driving an average of about 45 to 55 kilometers. So let's go 50 kilometers an hour. So for all those hours, he's doing 50 kilometers. Um, he was losing about $200 when you sort of calculate it with petrol, with how much rego, with you know, having to take his car back in. It's like, you are... Yeah. You're being had. Yeah, that's insane. Had, and also with no rights because you're just like this contract you, You're a contractor, yeah. exactly. You don't work for Uber. You're not an Uber employee. And like you said, you know Uber's going to replace you soon once they can do driverless. Yeah, absolutely. The, the moment they get the tick, um, which is... Yeah, uh, make, make of it what you will. Because... Um, you're you're relatively political in your art. I know you were saying earlier that like political art isn't your thing, but but you're relatively political. And does that come from now your background in um, doing a philosophy degree and um, sort of being at university and being surrounded by the kind of people who did philosophy degrees, or, uh, or were you always sort of political? I think so. I was always in trouble with the kid because I struggled with authority. Um, so I think I've always had that. I think that's probably because of my childhood. Like I've never really, I don't believe someone should be blindly respected because they're in a position of power. They should earn that respect. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think maybe that might've drove me to study philosophy. But then once I was in philosophy, I guess, um, yeah, that might've opened my world up a little bit more. Uh, I, yeah, I think my work is political, but I don't know. That's what I struggle with. Maybe more anti-capitalist art. I don't really understand because it's, uh, I guess it's always that um, paradox, like you're engaging with capitalism to critique capitalism, but there's no other choice. 
because capitalism is such this beautiful system that can take everything against it and suck it into it and spit it out as a as a product um yeah no i, I like political art i just always i guess it's like facebook i always try to be self-aware maybe of what i'm doing yeah well well i i mean when i when i say your art is political i think maybe, maybe i more mean that that it's engaging in politics like i mean it it doesn't have a clear agenda but it is speaking on political subjects and of course like you know you can make that argument you know all art is political art and that's true all art either plays yeah. within the castle walls or outside for the serfs um like it's always one or the other um but yeah, your your art speaks to me of sort of like an overwhelming um, political and philosophical sort of consideration. Is is creating art like 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 quite like how long does it take you to sort of come up with your ideas for your work? Do you come up with them largely through interactions like with your sister, or are you sort of sitting online and suddenly they hit you or are you sitting around and sort of brainstorming like what what's your sort of process there uh a lot of accidents really um like the number one mugs i just noticed a few billionaires had their fingers up and then i searched for more um or like the interaction with my sister yeah where i kind of wondered how you would ever recreate that moment um but yeah i guess months really to come up with ideas and then generally like over a year to make it work um just so, slowly plugging away yeah at the... yeah and i'm a bit of a perfectionist so i won't really finish it until i've i think it's done or mm, and despite sort of being quite like appropriative pieces your, your work sort of a lot of them what they have in common is that they use a lot of imagery yeah like is there is there a culling process like you're not just sort of collecting the first 130 photos of billionaires that you found yeah no i have thousands of billionaires so yeah definitely <laughs> i have thousands of billionaires <laughs> you're definitely a culling and even like the gum tree mirrors and i have thousands of those and i still collect them now like every day i'll log online and have a look um and the tweets are the same thing i think i have a few hundred of those but i've culled it to i think 32 um yeah i'm huge on culling just to the the right few that kind of create a work yeah, building up and then bringing it back down. Yeah, and because uh, a lot of my work, like if it was just one billionaire or one mirror from Gumtree or one tweet, it wouldn't really make sense. It kind of needs that, I guess, um, the grid or something, the group of the work to make it have a meaning or make sense. Right, like one billionaire holding up one finger would feel incidental, whereas if you can kind of go, here are 130 different billionaires holding up their fingers. Isn't this strange? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's almost like collecting evidence and yeah. presenting evidence, like corroborative evidence for a case. Yeah, I get, I, that's how I view a lot of my work. I even did that for a while. There's like a, this sounds really weird, but this is what maybe got me into the dark web a bit more. The um, Interpol have a website where they put up images of like a teddy bear or like a tree or something that they've extracted from a child pornography video. And then they're trying to, like, if you can say where they purchased that teddy bear from or what tree that is, that helps them narrow down where this kid is located in the yeah, world. Right. So I kind of started on that and then doing, like, searches to try to find these objects, just kind of for fun. Um, and then I don't know where I was going with this. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's interesting. So, so, yeah, it's you're essentially having many, many, many chance encounters online. And I imagine that... 
and maybe this, this isn't right, but I imagine that sort of once you start engaging in those processes, like you said, still checking Gumtree for mirrors. Yeah. Do you, do you find sometimes that because you're, you're on the internet for such a utilitarian purpose and using it as a tool, which is how it was initially conceived, um, do, do you find that sort of like, because you're in that mindset when you're on there, you're, you're chasing things as leads for your art rather than, you know, like I sometimes use the internet where it's like, oh, I'll just jump on the link to that place I like to read the articles on. Uh, yeah, no, I think so. I think that's maybe where I was going, like evidence. Like I do view my uh, like work as kind of, yeah, oh, I guess scientific or something like um, mm-hmm. taking my time and researching and um, finding what I need. I do look at a lot of crap online too. Like I go to BBC a lot. We all read stuff. We all do. Yeah. So it's one of those things. Ever you you look back and you're, man, were people bored before the internet, (laughs) or 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 did did people? I don't know. Like, but then then you look at old photos and it's it's a lot of people sitting around. Like one person listening to the radio, one person reading a book, one person playing chess. Like it's 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 the the equivalent of. you know, everyone looking down at their phones, but people yeah. had a more diverse yeah. thing. Like, I don't think there was ever a time where we all sat around and talked to each other 24-7 and <laughs> then it stopped when we invented uh, the PC. Yeah. Like, it's even like the newspaper, people used to read that before. and Yeah. And it's so funny when you look back at old newspaper articles. Uh, do you know the comic XKCD? No. It's an online webcomic that's sort of very nerdy and very sort of web-obsessed, but they... They do a lot of, yeah, like like your work, like uh, evidence-based comics. And like one of them is he went back through all these old American newspapers and searched for, you know, first, like 2007, it's like the iPhone will ruin your kid, is ruining kids' lives, you know, uh, have, giving kids your own computer is a bad idea. Um, it's making them antisocial. And then it goes back and then like in the 1890s, it was like chess is a violent game. <laughs> it's making our kids violent. And, and you know, the newspaper, now that, now that the newspaper has become smaller and people can take it with them, it's making people obnoxious. It's really interesting <laughs> that just like there's constantly been this, this set of arguments. Yeah, which is, I guess our generation's at the brunt of too, like of doing nothing with our lives and wasting our time and... Yeah. But I don't really think that. I do find the internet is a productive tool. And even like with your phone, like you have the world in your pocket. You can mm-hmm. access anything. You can read anything. You can do anything. Uh, there is kind of a, like a, I, th- I think I might sound skeptical of it, but I do kind of embrace it a lot too. Like there is a lot to gain from that. Yeah. And I, and I, I don't think it's useful to sort of, like I, I think it's useful to do sort of what you've done and sort of like cut yourself from social media. Like I, I envy you for that. Um, there are a variety of reasons why I'm not able to do that this year, but I'm so looking forward to doing it next year. Um, cause yeah, that's a waste of time. And once, once you shift away from that, you can once exactly like you were saying about like self-awareness, like you keep coming back to that. I think the, the more you engage that way, yeah, the better. Cause I did have that dilemma. I was either going to delete Facebook or, I just thought I can just cull everything, untag everything and still be on it, still engage and still communicate with friends overseas, but in a kind of reduced capacity. Yeah. Um, I wanted to cover one last thing before we maybe wrap up. I wanted to cover one last thing because you're, when you submitted to House, one of the things that sort of, I mean, caught my eye aside from your work, which is hilarious and 
eye-catching in, in, in the way you, you have very clearly curated like a large number of images and it's really great that way. But one of the things that caught my eye in your application is just how long your sort of CV is in terms of like the number of things you submit to, the number of things that sort of the group, the big compilation shows and stuff that you've been selected for and whatnot. And I was just wondering like, how do you, how do you, how do you manage sort of producing yourself as an artist and, and constantly sort of making sure that you're making the most of every opportunity while also creating art? Uh, yeah, I'm struggling with that this year only because um, I've, my CV looks impressive, but I don't really feel like it's got me anywhere and it's cost me a lot of money, like printing, framing, freighting. Um, and, but the only problem is every time I go to like an exhibition or art award or something, I'll talk to like the curator and I'll try to pick their brain and I'll ask, um, like, how do I get to that next? I guess the cliche artist question of how yeah. to get to the next level, how to get picked up. Um, and they tell me like, keep entering art awards, like that kind of that normal thing to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm struggling with that because I, it is good. And I think it, it needs to be done because you need to get your work out there. But I'm starting to become think there's a point where then you get abused by the industry. Um, like artists are funding exhibitions effectively for free for galleries by paying to enter art awards and getting a show on. Um, and they get a free show. They don't have to pay freight. They don't have to pay insurance. And it's kind of winner takes all mentality. Like there's only one winner at an art award. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm struggling with that. Yeah. yeah yeah it's and it's and it's getting to be a tougher landscape as sort of a i guess in sort of like an increasingly sort of well-off country right yeah. where like more and more people are essentially afforded to be able to do art yeah and it's it's becoming a more crowded sphere and i think i think a lot and but then equally as that happens as sort of the individual's as a society, we're becoming wealthier, although it's disproportionately at the top, even though the bottom are becoming wealthier. Um, what we're seeing is that even though that's happening, institutions aren't. Institutions are being defunded, making a lot less money. And we're sort of seeing the ecosystem seems to be off kilter a bit to, to me. There's not, like you were saying, there's no clear middle step between graduating art school and entering art competitions and becoming the kind of person who hangs regularly in Mona. Yeah. Like the middle step isn't clear to me. No, there is a middle step, but it's hard in Australia too. Um, the middle step I've done overseas, but here I can't. So the middle step in Australia is commercial galleries Yeah. who then pick you up. And then um, this sounds bad, but I did study art history. So I, I was originally going to be a curator, but curators are lazy. They don't research and they Thanks. don't go and find, <laughs> they don't go and try to find artists. Instead, like even like the UQ National Self Portrait Award and all that. So who um the, I won't say whoever's done it this year, but um they just go out to the commercial galleries, they get their work, and then they bring it into a show. Which is why I think I get bored a lot in Australian at um state-run institutions because it's all the same artists right it's whoever's in their collection yeah it's it's based on relationships curators have building their way up in the industry yeah and almost like it's Campbell Newman's wet dream like it's neoliberalism and nepotism it's um like we pay taxes who then go to a state institution who then go off to private companies commercial galleries and buy commercial work and then put it into their galleries um 
and it's the same artist. So I think, yeah, that is the step you have to do in Australia. What but, was the middle step you took overseas? Uh, again, yeah, commercial galleries. Um, but in Europe and North America, the commercial galleries don't sell commercial work. They sell art that ends up in galleries. I find, I've find in Australia, and maybe it's because I've been rejected by quite a few commercial galleries because they my work's not commercial. Right, like, yeah, I, it's not. It's like I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't, hang your work in my house no maybe. yeah and i've been told that like i no would one's collect gonna... all of those mugs <laughs> though <laughs> yeah and no, i've been told that like no one's gonna buy this and put it above their fireplace um which is well, not a fireplace but <laughs> there are other things we could put your work on top of <laughs> so yeah i don't know australia yeah it does have a middle step but it's more for commercial artists yeah that, and it, so. it, you especially see that i think in 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 you know a lot of Brisbane galleries. I mean, I think the Philip Bacon Gallery sometimes has interesting collections. Yeah. But most of the other ones around, and IMA, of course, but that's sort of different. Um, yeah, a lot of the other galleries, it's, I mean, and a lot of them are shutting down. Yeah. Um, we were partnered with a gallery called This Must Be The Place, which was just next to um, Bowery um, on, in Fortitude Valley. And they shut down, like they were just losing money hand over fist. It's really hard. Yeah, I think even because isn't Heiser's closing? I think more and more commercial galleries are closing. Yeah. So there's fewer opportunities for artists. So. Yeah, it's super hard. And the, yeah, so again, same thing, same thing for writers, you know, things pop up and then they go away and then you have sort of this hegemony of magazines, which, you know, is essentially a collection of seven editors in Melbourne um, who all hang out and know the same writers and exactly go, yeah. go to the people they have relationships with. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to add to that. You know, it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's depressing. It's, it's really tough. Um, yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you stay motivated as, as an artist? Um, I, I guess that's what I'm really struggling with this year. Like I've, I've suffered from like a lot of, it sounds sort of like first worldy. Like depression this year, like oh, I'm an artist, I'm depressed. Um, it's a real experience, though. But yeah, no, it feels like I'm. It feels like a waste of money. Art. Like it feels like I, I spend a lot of money printing, framing, freighting, and for shows. But then it doesn't really go anywhere because I'm not really making commercial work. So I'm, I'm. I haven't been motivated this year. I haven't made any work this year. I've, I'm struggling to do anything this year. Really. What are you? What are you working on while you're here at house? Um, I. I'm not too sure yet. <laughs> that sounds bad. No, it's okay. Um, but, you know, I was applying to come and try to get some motivation again because I do spend a lot of time at home in, like, um, my studio, which is really a spare bedroom, um, doing work, which is kind of maybe half depressing and lonely at the same time. So I thought if I come here, I'll get out of the house and make more work. But, yes, I don't really But it's know. like a slow ramp up a little bit maybe. Yeah, trying to just find my feet again and yeah, start creating yeah, well, I'm excited to see what you do, and I hope you do find your motivation. <laughs> Thank um, you. And we'll, we'll 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 speak more on that off air. Um, it's been about 45 minutes, so thanks so much for sitting down. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, I have a website, which is just my name, calumgraves.com. Um, I do have a Twitter account where I just I do post the I don't understand modern arts. Yes, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I um, I think I follow that. Yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I followed you. Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have like 10 tweets. I hate Twitter. I think it's 
I think it's the worst platform in the world. I don't think we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna achieve anything by talking to each other in 140 character bursts. <laughs> I think we're just gonna make everything fucking worse. <laughs> I don't know. Trump seems to uh, change the world one tweet at a time. So. Yeah, but does it change it for the better? Has anyone changed the world for the better through Twitter? Aside from that time, Elon Musk made that deal with the. South, South Australian government yeah. about the solar panels via Twitter. Man, we live in a dumb world. This is a dumb world. <laughs> All right, dude. Thanks so much for sitting down and talking. Thank you. The House Conspiracy Podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org donate, and you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening.